0: Thank you so much. Maybe seated. Welcome to Southridge. We are honored and thrilled to see and have each and every one of you here. I hope your weekend is off to a great start. We're kicking off a new series entitled Soulology. This is the study of the soul. And so we're looking forward to being together this week. Uh, Dallas Willard, a theologian and author, it is your soul. The soul is the life center of the human being. And so often, it's one of those things that we neglect all too often. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into this topic of the soul. And it's so important, and I'm looking forward to what God has for us. And uh, when it comes to the soul, it's kind of an interesting topic. It's, it's not easy to quantify. If we were to talk about health, that's a lot easier. Matter of fact, let's talk about health for just a minute. Touch your neighbor and tell them something about health. Tell them something maybe you need to eat healthy. Tell them you exercise. Just tell them something about health. Just talk about health. See? It's easy. We can all talk about health. It's easy to talk about health. That, that's, that's not a problem. And uh, unfortunately, some of us, were feeling a little bit guilty about something we did or didn't do with our health, you know, but it's neither here nor there, but it's, it's easy to talk about health. No matter where you are, what your age, or stage, you can give somebody advice about health. I grew up in a a home where when it came to sugary cereals, we weren't allowed to have it. How many of you grew up in that home? You grew up in that home? Yeah. All right. We'll we'll go to therapy together. We weren't allowed Lucky Charms and Froot Loops, and we didn't get any of that. My parents somehow, in their delusion, thought... Raisin brand was healthy. How many thought Raisin brand was healthy? Until you found out how much sugar they pack into those little raisins. That is basically just, uh, it's, it's diabetes and a raisin is what they did. They just pumped that raisin full of diabetes and then they give it to little kids. And they found it was more sugar and I was like, all those years, I didn't get to have Lucky Charms. And so now I make up for it. But whenever I get it, my wife, she gets upset. She wants us to go back to the brand stuff, you know, whole wheat and all that stuff, you know, it just doesn't work. But when it comes to health, we can all talk about health. We all know something. We all know about nutrition, dieting, exercise, uh, workout routines, or we can all talk about at one time we could lift this, at one time we could wear this, or, you know, we're all over the place when it comes to physical health, right? We can talk about it. What about mental health? There is such a thing as mental health, a little bit tougher, but yet, some of us can still kind of hold our own, and we can talk about mental health. I won't, I won't ask you to talk to the person next to you about mental health. They may get nervous. They may think you're implying something. So we won't talk about me- mental health. But yet, some of us know that there are some things about mental health that you can do. Some of you are like, that's why I drink... Ginkgo bilobo tea, and uh, so for my mental health, and uh, there's things you do for your mental health. I've even uh, read books that said, don't brush your teeth the same way. It's bad for your mental health. You need to change up your routines, and they said, try to do more than one thing at a time, Um, like brush your teeth and comb your hair, and I think it's scientifically impossible, but they say it's good for your brain to connect new patterns and everything. So if I were to ask you to talk to somebody about brain health, it'd be harder, but I think it'd be harder still if I were to ask you to talk about soul health. Now that's where it'd be weird. It'd be like, my soul? What do I got to talk about my soul? And it's weird. We, we don't think we talk about the soul, but yet we actually talk about the soul all the time. You are subconsciously monitoring your soul all the time. You ever said this? This job is sucking the life out of me. Ever said that? And if your boss is here, don't raise your hand, you know? <laughs> Some of you are like, hey, I've been in a relationship that did a don't, just don't, just that's, that's not this series. Um, or you've said something like this, man, I just got to get away. I just, I just need a vacation. That's soul language. You're, you're talking about your soul. It's not your body, it's your soul. There's something deeper. You're like, man, I just get out in the mountains and in the woods and man, I just feel alive. You ever said that? Man, when I'm just by the beach, I feel alive. There's something that I just feel alive, and, and man, that's where I just need to be. It's soul language. It's language that is a reticence of our soul, that we have a soul, that we uh, want these soul things. Um, being a pastor, I get to go to lots of coaching Basically that's pastor speech for counseling, okay? So I get to go a lot of coaching. And one of the sessions I had this past week, the coach was saying, Hey, let's talk about let's talk about your health. And I was like, okay. And he was like, let's start on a scale of one to ten where you are and 1 to 10 where you want to be. And uh, so on the left column, he said, tell me about your marriage, tell me about your relationship, tell me about uh, ministry, and tell me about your parenting, and, and just list it all. And that was easy. And then we got over to the other column on the right, and he said, you know, put between 1 and 10. And on the right, that was super easy. I just put a 10 all the way down. And he said, I see the numbers on the left, but but don't you think the numbers on the right are a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, you just put a 10 all the way. I don't know if you thought through this. I said, Excuse me, but how is it going to look if I say, yeah, honey, you know, I put marriage, we're at a three, and I chose a sucky six. You know, that's where I'd be happy if our marriage was right there. That's not going to be good. I said, I want to be a 10. My physical health, I want to be a 10. My spiritual growth, I want to be a 10. Nobody settles and says, yeah, we're at two. Let's go for a four or five, maybe tops. No, I want to be a 10. You know why I want to be a 10? Because there's something inside my soul that, wants to be better. There's something inside of you that says, I want my marriage to be better. Something inside of you that says, I want to live for something with true meaning and purpose. There's something inside of you that says, I want to raise these children, not murder them. I, wanna, I want them to become something for the Lord, or I want them to be... Prosperous. I want them to leave my house when they turn 18. And, and there's, there's something inside of you that says, I want to do a good job. There's something inside of you when you get to your golf game. You're like, I want to perfect it. There's something inside of you. You get to your car and you wax and you watch and you take care of it. There's a drive. There's this craving. Your soul craves. Your soul is made to Crave now cravings are real you know um, I've never been pregnant my wife has volunteered three times and so um, she cravings for her have been real she's had real cravings man I need some calamari like now I don't know what it was with Megan and calamari when we were expecting Megan I was going to get calamari at the weirdest times and you know how hard it is to find calamari in the middle of the night all of a sudden I'm like 7-Eleven well, might have it but I don't think you want their calamari because I don't think it's calamari I I think it's something that he just deep fried. We don't know what it was. It could have been a cockroach. He just like, "Eh, it's calamari, you know? And it's just, no. So it it was just one of those things. He had cravings. For me, I guess... Coffee is kind of my craving. I crave coffee, especially in the morning. Man, good cup of coffee. And uh, some people call it an addiction. I call it an appreciation, okay? It's not an addiction. It's an appreciation. And it comes to my coffee. And I just love it. I'm not addicted because I could quit at any time if I want to. And since I can quit, I don't need to quit. So it's one of those things where I'm okay, but we get these things of cravings. But your soul has cravings. It's why you can get around a party and... You leave the party and you feel self-conscious about your weight. And all of a sudden, I'm not trying to be mean, but you may go home and you may eat a half a gallon of ice cream. Your body wasn't hungry, but your soul was craving something. The else is succeeding and you're not, so you go to the mall and you spend a bunch of money you don't really have to dress yourself up. It wasn't that you needed the clothes. It was the fact that your soul was craving something. And so you felt like, since my soul is craving, i got to put this on. And some of us, we live vicariously through our children, and we want them to perform and to be something because we're craving something that we didn't get. And so we're going to try to make sure our kids are uber-talented, and they got the best grades, and they're in every extracurricular activity. And man, they have the, the best opportunities. And it's because there's something in us that's craving something. And so we try to fixate on something else. You see, it's our soul, a deep part of us is craving something. There's a man in Ecclesiastes, we're gonna learn about him. His name is Solomon. Solomon writes three books of the Old Testament He writes the book of Proverbs He writes the book of Song of Solomon And he also writes Ecclesiastes At each point he writes at a different point in his life Some would even say at even different spiritual stages of his life They say when he was a young man he wrote Song of Solomon When he was a middle-aged man he wrote Proverbs And when he was an older man he wrote Ecclesiastes Looking back on his life And the look that we get in Ecclesiastes chapter number one Is a very sober, very honest look And so, and you got to take it, for instance, if you open up and you read chapter one, it would say the words of the preacher, it's kind of a weird way to open up a book, but Solomon called himself a preacher. A preacher means a herald, a proclaimer. And what Solomon would do in that day and age was he felt it was his job to instruct the people. You see, I don't know if you knew this or not, but back in the Bible, they didn't have Google. And Since they didn't have Google, you couldn't instantly find out about people. Today, you want to find about anybody at any time, at any place, you just reach in your pocket, pull out your phone, and you can know anything. We used to have these little shelves, and they had two shelves on it, and it was called the Encyclopedia the Britannica, that thing with those words that you use, which I can't think of. Man, and that was supposed to be the world's knowledge. Man, that was cool if you had one of those. That was, that was expensive, but it was cool. And so you would have that, but now we don't need that. Why? Because we have Wikipedia. Is it accurate? Nobody cares, but that's all right. You know, it's, it's, it's we've got it. And now you've got the world's information at your fingertips. But in that day and age, you didn't. So Solomon would gather the people. And Solomon does something. He does a little social experiment. But he experiments on himself. Kind of a very selfish experiment, and let's dive into it. I want to read two verses in chapter 1, and then we're going to read several verses in chapter 2. But let me begin by verse number 13 in chapter 1. He said, And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under the heaven. Let me stop for a moment. When you see the word, all that is done under the heaven, many of us would think this is hyperbole, that he's just exaggerating. No, Solomon is not. Anything that he could research and study, he did. You see, you and I, we are, we're lacking in our ability, maybe because of funds or time or authority to search out all wisdom. Solomon is a king. He's a superpower of his day. He has all kinds of wealth. His wealth is innumerable. It's, it's incredible, the wealth. He didn't like silver because he just had so much of it. It was worthless in that day. Silver was just worthless. I didn't care about silver. All of his cups and spoons, everything was just overlaid with gold. Everything was valuable. He would just pour gold out because he had so much wealth. And this is Solomon. And so Solomon, when he says, hey, I set my heart to seek and search by wisdom concerning all that is done to the heaven, he's serious. The burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is he saying? The word vanity means it's empty, it's worthless, it's meaningless. Now you need to understand something. Solomon is not at the prime spiritual state in his life. He's an older, discouraged man. He's one that's gone through a season of living for himself, and the longer you follow yourself and live for yourself, you find it very empty and dissatisfying. And so Solomon, he pursued these things, and I want you to see exactly what he pursued, because when it comes to the pursuits of your life or the pursuit of your soul, what is your soul pursuing? Because this morning, your soul is pursuing something. Some of us, our soul is pursuing success. Our soul is pursuing this, this, this drive to be uh, uh, included. Our soul is pursuing this drive to be famous. Our soul is pursuing this drive to have money or wealth or status. Your soul is on a search this morning. Your soul is craving something. And so I want you to see what Solomon tried to fill his soul with. Chapter 2, verse number 1. Here's what the Bible says. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity and i said of laughter its madness and of mirth what does it accomplish i search my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine with God, while guiding my heart with wisdom and how good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives I made my great works I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards I made myself gardens of orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them I made myself water pools from which water to grow the trees of the grove I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house yet I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and the province I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and the musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from my pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. My hands and the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. What is the goal of your soul? Would you touch your neighbor and say, what is the goal for your soul? What is the goal for your soul? What is the goal for your soul? You see, it's one of those questions that we honestly, we don't think about. You've got a goal for your career. You've got a goal for your parenting. You've got a goal for your marriage, but you don't have a goal for your soul. And many of us were like Solomon. We're like, well, that's a good goal. I'll pursue pleasure, or I'll pursue fame, or I'll pursue this. This will feed my soul, and I need you to see something. Solomon got to pursue it all. Money, love, sex, power. He pursued it all, and you know what he said? It's all empty. You see, here's the thing that you and I, we think. We fall for this. We think, well, if I had all the money, it'd be different. If I just had a bigger house, it'd be different. If I just had more social status, it'd be different. If I just had a, bigger, a better car, or if I just had this, then I would be happy, my soul would be happy. Here's a man that had it all, and he said, not so. Ever heard of Nirvana and Kurt Cobain? There's a man who had it all, 27, blew out his brains. He had it all, folks. Shouldn't his soul have been happy? Shouldn't it have been going well for him? You see, that's what we do in the Christian church, too. We know how to take care of our mind, we know how to take care of our body, but we neglect the soul. And I know what some of you are thinking. I'm at church, I'm taking care of my soul right now. But you're not. You see, the soul is a different part of you. You see, here's what's happening when it comes to our soul and how we develop it and how we take care of it and how we guard it. Oftentimes, we just say, I'm just going to desire something. And Solomon, he gave his heart to seek it. He said, I'm going to go after whatever it is I desired. And he went after it. Scripture here, it's actually a medical condition. To the degree that he went after things And I don't mean to be vulgar And I don't mean to be I know there's some young people here So I'm going to be very careful But I'm going to say it There's literally a condition And it's called What the hell That's the condition We use it as slang But it literally means You've gotten to a point That you no longer care about anything So what the hell Solomon is at a point in his life Man I have 2 699 wives What the hell Let's get one more And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm being serious. That's where he was. I have all these houses. Ah, what the hell. Let's get another one. I have all this fame. What the hell? He tried it all. Any pleasure. He didn't deny it from himself. It's a condition. This is not a place where we want to be. Here's a man that had anything you could ever want, anything you could ever desire, and he had come to a point in his spiritual life where it was just, what the hell? I'll just do it. Okay, we'll try one more thing. And some of us have gotten to those points. Oh, I've already messed up my life enough. What the hell? What's another relationship? What's sleeping with another person? What's, what's just cheating on this test? What's just lying to my spouse about this? What's just lying to my boss about this? I've just gotten to that point because why? Because we see ourselves as a self and not a soul. Come on, today we've got, it. We've got self-help, self-care, self-love, self-everything, all about the self. But where are you hearing teaching on the soul? Because you're more than a self. You are a soul. But too often we don't focus on the soul. Too often we neglect the soul. And we wonder why our soul doesn't just go away. It goes awry. It goes crazy. You ever met the person where you're like, what happened? They just quit their job like nothing. They just left their children like nothing. What happened? Their soul went awry. You can't neglect your soul and think everything is okay. You can't neglect, and neglect that deep part of you. And whether you're an agnostic, whether you vote a Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. You have this soul. There's a deep desire, this craving inside of you that says there's something that I'm searching for. I'm looking for something with some deep meaning, something that'll truly satisfy. And here Solomon said, I set my heart to pursue everything, folks. And he did. And he said it came up empty. Please write this down. You can get all you ever wanted and it never be enough. You can get all you ever wanted and it never be enough. You see, I just need that promotion. If I could just marry a girl like that, if I could just date a guy like that, if I could just drive a car like that, if I could just have a church like that, it represents us all in this room. If I just had children like that, what are we actually saying? We're actually saying that, guess what? No, I could do it differently. I could be better. But you're neglecting the fact that you have a soul. You say, where does the soul come from? The soul, and you can write this down if you want to, is the borrowed breath of God. Go back to Genesis chapter number one, verse number 27. The Bible says, let us make man in our image and let let him have our likeness. And so God took the dust of the earth and formed man, but that body was nothing. It was dead. It was void. It was flesh. It was lifeless. There was no heartbeat. There was no life. There was no pulse. Until what? Until God breathed into man's nostrils. The Bible says the breath of life, and he became a living, what's the word? Soul. So where does our soul come from? It's the very borrowed breath of God. And so, you attempting to fill it with anything other than something that came from God doesn't work. I once had a car, and it was an unleaded. It was an 84 Honda Corolla, or Honda uh, Accord, and it was great. It was my first car. The thing, the interior was this, this really bright blue. The whole interior, all the seats were blue, the dashboard was blue, the steering wheel was blue, I was blue. Everything was blue in this car. And man, it was great. It was, it was a great car. And I let a guy at college borrow it. And he's like, hey, man, I borrowed your car and I filled it up with gas. I was like, actually, filled it up with gas. What's all that black smoke behind the car when you drove in, you know? And he was like, I don't know. But I filled it up, so I'll see you later. What he did not realize is back then they hadn't changed the diesel pump nozzles, the different size, so you couldn't fit them in and unleaded. He just saw, what's the cheapest gas I can get this guy? And this is back when we had like $4 gas and diesel was like $3 and it's a cheapskate. And he stuck that diesel inside my engine. Oh, it gummed it up. It was, it was shot. It was just shot. Why? Because the unleaded vehicle was not meant to have diesel. Your life was not meant to have sin. That's not how God created you. God wasn't meant to you not created to fill the stuff that you're filling your life with. And some of you are wondering why. I'm finding no satisfaction. I'm finding no fulfillment. Because God says, hey, your soul is from the very breath of God. It's a very deeply spiritual thing. So whether you're a Christ follower or whether you believe the Bible is totally irrelevant, just listen to this young preacher this morning when I tell you that what you're craving is something at a deeper level and it only can come from God. Your husband can't give it to you. Your wife can't give it to you. Your job can't give it to you. Your clothes can't give it to you. Only God can give you what your soul is craving this morning. And yet we've got a whole generation that we're on painkillers. We're on antidepressants. And I'm not against medication. If you need it, you need to take it. But I'm saying our souls got to that point. But can I tell you where I want to be? This is where where Micaiah Ermler wants to be. I want to be to the point, though situations are good, situation may be better than my soul, I want my soul always better than my situation. I don't want the well-being of my soul dependent on my situation. But that's how most of us live. If the situation is good, then the soul is good. If the wife is respecting me, then I'm good. If she's not, she's got a problem. I better stop this really quick I'll get in trouble but that's where our soul is that's where the goal but yet we've all got a goal for our soul we just don't like to talk about it I did something the other day I said okay What's all the goals of my soul like What's the initial thing that just comes from my mind And man I was just, I was just putting stuff down You know the stuff we put down A car, a house, you know uh, College for the kids You know you just start putting all this stuff down And then I was like where is God in this I just went through my list and, You know we just do it Innocent, it's innocent But I step back and say wait a minute I'm created after his image And his likeness How am I feeding my soul in this you see Solomon he does and I'll go through this real quick it's a short little outline he gave himself to pleasure any pleasure wine and women he gave himself to it he had 300 concubines 300 concubines 300 women these weren't women you had a relationship with this is for one thing and one thing only this is to be used and abused that's what he was looking for that's that's how far and depraved he was he gave himself to projects Solomon he built beautiful gardens he built beautiful uh, 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 kingdoms he built all kinds of things he built God's house anybody remember how long it took him to build God's house Just throw out a number. Anybody remember? I heard seven. Seven years. But then Solomon built his own house. You know how it took him to build his house? 13 years. Almost doubled the time. So here's where the message can preach. He put more effort into his house than God's house. How much effort are you putting into God's house? We're so busy building our house. Yeah, it is good. Thank you very much. All right. God bless you. So here's here's the reality, though. The Bible, it's this little verse. It's tricky, isn't it? How the Bible works against us? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Where was his treasure? His house. His house. You see, this is why we're so big on the church. This is why we're so big. It's not that we're trying to build a big kingdom. It's that we know that we're constantly reminding you to orient your heart, orient your soul, orient your mind to the things of God, orient your mind to pursue things that are above, not of things that are of this earth. Because you get to your job, what are they going to talk about? Oh, man, I'm saving up for this Camaro. And there's nothing wrong with a Camaro. Oh, I'm saving up for this RV. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can steal my heart. Just know my heart is fickle. Just know your heart is fickle. It's easy to let astray. It's easy to be pulled, so you need something that's saying, hey, let's get realigned here. Your car needs an alignment every now and then to get the tires realigned. Your soul needs that alignment. So Solomon, he gave himself. He pursued these things. He pursued possessions. There's a parable in Luke, 19, uh, Luke 12, verse 19. The Bible talks about a rich man. He had all this wealth. And he starts talking, the Bible literally says, to his soul. Not to himself, to his soul. The deeper part of him. The spiritual part of him. He says, soul, you have much goods. And much wealth for many days. And so he said, soul, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns and I will store my wealth and I will take my rest and eat, drink, and be merry. But then Jesus finished the parable and said that God said, thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then what good will these things be when your soul is gone? You see, what happens is we think a healthy soul means healthy stuff. Stuff doesn't make a good soul. And we're in this collection. We're we're hoarders, really, is what we are. We're hoarding all these things, and we think this is what it's going to take to have a healthy soul. And we're missing the point. We've got to get back and say, God, what do you want for a healthy soul? What does it take? And here, Solomon is leaving a very poor example of what a healthy soul is, what it means to pursue God. He gave himself to possessions. You see, we give ourselves to possessions. Then he gave himself to prominence. Verse number nine, the Bible says, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me. He was great, he had arrived. He had everything, he had everything. You know what I basically say? Here's how you can sum up everything that Solomon pursued. Solomon pursued the American dream. That's what he's pursued. Come on, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's where we live. And I'm not against it. This isn't me down on the American train. This isn't me saying, hey, don't work hard. This is not, it's not what it is. But, but we can get fixated at the point of, man, I've, I've got to have this, this kind of a life that fits in here. Uh, anybody ever gone to a third world country? Anybody? A few of you? Yeah, there we go. There we go. We don't like to raise our hands. We're not that kind of church. You know, I've I seen you in worship. You're like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> One of these days, we're going to get you to goalpost. One of these days, you know, we'll get you there. <laughs> But man, it gets hard and you you go to a third world country and you're amazed, right? You go see the children and they're all smiling and they live in a dirt hut. The whole village has one ball to play with but they're all so happy and they see you, they come running up. They want to like touch you and just look at you. They've never seen somebody uh, that's from somewhere else outside of their city and they're so happy, they're so content and all of a sudden you start feeling really guilty. Oh man, you look inside their humble abode you look inside and you think, wow, they have so little, but they're so joyful. And then you make a vow. You make a promise. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be different. Man, I don't care if I'm eating peanut butter and jelly for the next three years. I will never be ungrateful. I will never be upset. I will always be kind to the waiter. If I ever have to wait, it's not going to bother me because I've seen what people that have real happiness, they have nothing. And then we get home and it lasts about two weeks. And then we get to Applebee's and we start yelling at the waiter because they're taking too long with our Arnold Palmer refill. Because when we go to Applebee's, we don't drink anything else. We drink good things. Bunch of heathens. (laughs) Memorial Day weekend, you're about to have a good time, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I know it, I know it. But man, it doesn't stay with us, does it? We're thinking, looking at the picture, and we're like, God, it, man, it didn't take long, and I'm already over it. Marty, over the fact that I have so much. I mean, I've got a a garage and I can't even put the cars in the garage because I got so much stuff and I got so much stuff I had to get a storage. Man, so I got cars in the driveway. Last night, my neighbors had a party and so their cars were in my driveway. It was the funniest thing. You should have seen it. I've got my wife out and I was like, just look at this. I just love our neighbors. I just love our neighbors. I was like, good thing we don't have to go anywhere tonight because we ain't going nowhere. Because it's ten o'clock and our driveway's got cars, unless unless you got me a car, you know, I'll take one, you know. But uh, you know, that's just neighbors, you know. And we got we got cars, and then and then we got we got the kids and all these extracurricular activities, and we got all these things and clubs and events and things that we're all a part of, and our life is so busy, and we wonder why our soul is sick. Because none of it helps the soul, none of it. So you say, what do we do? We find ourselves in this situation. You see, the biggest thing, and this is what's the worst of all. What's worse than missing the point is missing your purpose. Solomon missed it, didn't he? What a great opportunity with all that wealth, all that wisdom, all that power, all that authority, what he could have done to change the world in his day. And what did he do with it? 700 wives. Wow. Like that alone. I mean... They talk about his barns for his horses. He had these huge stables for his horses. Thousands of horses that he got from Egypt. But yet, his soul was not satisfied. Because he missed his purpose. You see, your soul is meant for a purpose. Higher than this life. Because your soul is the borrowed breath of God. Your soul needs four things. Quickly, if you'd write it down, your soul is looking for an identity. You see, today, everybody's looking to copy or be somebody else or act like somebody else, but your soul is saying, who am I? Yeah. Who am I really? Am I going to stop pretending? Or am I going to be who God has called me to be? What's my identity? Your soul is looking for that identity. Your soul is not just looking for identity. Your soul is looking for intimacy. Why do you think he had 700 wives and 300 concubines? He's looking for love. Because you've got to get under the surface. Because a lot of our problems are superficial. It's what's under the surface that really matters. And most of us on a Sunday morning, we're only going so deep. And I know that. I know we're only going so deep but during the week it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would start working on what's really under the surface what's really going on some of you think your marriage problems are simple but it's much deeper and it's much longer and it's much more deeply rooted and it doesn't just get fixed in one night it doesn't just get fixed in one talk with a counselor some of your spiritual issues they don't just get fixed in one moment it just doesn't snap your fingers and you, you magically change it's going to be a process and it's deep it's, it's under the surface Jesus spent three and a half years with twelve disciples and one of them always and continued to mess up, but God still used him. At the end of Peter's life, Peter was still screwing things up. He was still messing up the church, but God still used Peter to see 3,000 people saved in one day. But we're looking for this intimacy. We're looking that someone would know us. But here's what stops the intimacy. We don't truly believe that a God who knows us fully can actually love us dearly. And here's why. Because we actually don't believe in unconditional love. And I know, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I do. I believe in unconditional love. No, you don't. I'll do this. And maybe you've done it too. I'll go up to my wife. And this week, I was being goofy. I was being silly. I said, I'm working on a series. And I would just go and give her a big hug. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm hugging your soul. Your soul needs love. And I would just say, I'm loving on her soul. And every once in a while, she'll say, tell me why you love me. And I'll just say, "I love, babe, girl, I love you for everything. All of it. And she hates it when I do that. <laughs> hates it. She's like, no, you have to tell me something. Oh, it, we're at church so I'll keep it PG um, it's uh, I love you for your personality I love you for your for your for your laugh I love you for the way you just mess with me and I just man and so they want to hear a list why do they want a list they secretly want validation they're actually worth loving so do you you get to a job you get to an interview you don't want to just hear how was my performance review you want to know what, what was good Because you secretly want validation for why you should be employed there. You want validation for why you should be in the relationship. You're secretly searching for that because you don't believe in unconditional love. It it doesn't exist. And so when God says, I love you deeply and fully and I know you totally, you're like, I just know God. But God says, I do. So what do we do? We pull in Adam and Eve and we run from the very love of God, the unconditional, all-forgiving God. We run from it. We hide. We sow fig leaves together. Adam and Eve had a perfect life, didn't they? They? It's the garden of Eden. God had said, hey, eat of the fruit. It's totally yours. And man, they they had paradise. It was a nudist colony. And they had all this stuff. And God was like, just come on. How can you mess it up? And guess what they did? They messed it up. And took fig leaves and sewed them together. And fig leaves are very itchy. And yet they use those to cover themselves. Sin makes you stupid. It really does. (laughs) So here they are. And yet they're running from God. And God says, I'm looking for you. And some of you this morning, you're running from love. And isn't it ironic that you're running from God to look for love somewhere else when God is the total embodiment of love, the source of love? But yet we run from Him. And some of you now, even this week, you've run from Him. You're here in body, but you can't accept His love. There's a wall. Because you secretly don't believe in unconditional love. You think there's got to be conditions. There's got to be a reason. And when you put a reason on it, I'm telling you this, you're actually validating your flesh. You're validating your pride that you actually think you measure up. When the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin, you can't measure up. There's nothing you can do to actually earn it. The only thing we earn is death. That's it, that's all we earn. But God said, I love you, totally, completely. And that's what your soul is starving for. But if you keep blocking it out because you're saying, God, tell me why you love me, and then, man, you go to church extra to validate that, that's not feeding your soul, it's validating something else. And man, you did all this work, and I had people literally tell me, I did this for the church, and I did this for the church, and I did this for the church, and this is how I got treated. I said, wrong, 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 never do it for the church. The church will hurt you, wound you, leave you, do it for God. Because then no matter what happens, you said, I did it for God. Nobody could take that. Nobody can take that. I didn't do it for anything. Man, I even do that when I, when I do something for somebody. If somebody says, hey, can I borrow something? Can I use that? Can you help me? I always say, God, do you want me to do this? Because if something changes the relationship, they're gone. Then I'm always mad at them. Now I'm not mad at them. Because God told me to do it. They didn't ask me. God let me do it. So your soul is looking for identity. It's looking for intimacy. It's looking for community. Your soul is looking to fellowship. you ever said this? This is so crazy. It's soul talk. It's soul talk. Man, I just need a heart-to-heart with this person. What does that mean? Like, I'm going to take my heart, and you take yours out of your chest. And let's, like, what does that heart-to-heart mean? Our language, if we honestly think about it, our kids who are very literal must get freaked out when we say that. Like, they're like, no, mommy. Put down the butter knife. No. We're not having a heart-to-heart. We're talking about soul language. It's my soul needs community. My soul is isolated. That's why I think it's a very dangerous thing for a church member to be isolated, to not be in community. That's why we're pushing the life groups. That's why we have all these little inserts. And this is why we're pushing you to go to a group. We're offering more groups, and we want you to sign up, and we want you to participate because we know that your soul is looking for community. And some of those that go to the community, you get in your group and all of a sudden, man, things start happening, God starts working, you're finding community and you're like, you walk out and you're like, I didn't really say anything, but I was just around them. Man, I just feel better. It's community, your soul's looking for it. And then lastly, your soul's looking for destiny. Your soul's looking for purpose. Why do I exist? There's gotta be more than just the fact that I'm gonna live and I'm gonna die. There's gotta be more to me. God wants to do more in you and through you if you allow God to say, I want to be fed. I want my soul strong. Next week, we're going to be talking about when anxiety attacks. Because when anxiety does attack, it's just a sign of the fact that we have a weak soul. And that's something to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed of. I've had anxiety attacks. Last fall, you want to talk about anxiety attacks? My goodness. I lived through those. My I bore them with me. Man, that's not a joke. So we're going to be talking about that. And each week, I don't want you to miss it's five weeks. I know it's summer, we're in and out, we've got a lot of things going on and everything. But I think the series it may not necessarily be as preachy, but it'll be some good teaching as we look at the life of Solomon on our soul, because God wants you to take care of your soul, and I want you to be able to look back and say, "How am I doing to take care of my soul?" Because you're more than a self, you are a soul. And that soul is going to live eternally somewhere. So what is the goal for your soul? How are you going to take care of your soul? We've laid out a few steps. We've laid out some things for you to do. I remember uh, I took a trip with a buddy of mine. He told me, hey, we're going to do a sightseeing tour in an airplane over San Jose. It was a summer day. And he said, I'm going to take you up in my airplane. He was a pilot. And he said, I'm going to take you up. Bring your camera. We're going to have a great time. It's gonna be a lot of fun. You just, you just, I'll just fly over the hills of San Jose. You'll see the city and the skyline. We're gonna take pictures. And so we're up in his plane and we're flying over kind of the the, the, the reservoir, the Anderson uh, Reservoir, and the dam and everything. And I'm getting pictures, and all of a sudden over the calm, he asked me something. He said, "Hey, do you mind if I pick up airspeed?" And I'm taking pictures, and I'm just thinking, "Yeah, man, get up to airspeed." I didn't have a phone, so I had the old actual camera, and I'm taking pictures of the camera, so I don't see anything that's going on. My, my face is just in the camera. All of a sudden, it felt like I was on a roller coaster, and we just went over the cliff, because what I did not know about airspeed is there's not a throttle, and all of a sudden, the jets go. No, this, this is Tabria airplane. All of a sudden, what I did not realize was this pilot is actually an aerobatics pilot who now wants to practice his maneuvers with me in there, and that backpack that he told me to put on was not a backpack. It was a parachute, and that's messed up. I thought this was a sightseeing tour. I thought this was a pleasure cruise. Man, all of a sudden he started for the next 45 minutes. My lunch was all over. It was bad. All of a sudden he's doing maneuvers and he's doing all this stuff and I'm just praying to Jesus and I'm just saying, "God, save me. Take the wheel. Take me home. Do whatever. I'm getting close to God. My soul is. My soul was with God. It was gone. It was just it was not there." All of a sudden, man, I remember that flight as we took off. I was annoyed by the backpack. I was annoyed by the little safety harness, the four-point harness that he made me sit in. Because I thought this was going to be a nice little sightseeing thing. All of a sudden, my alertness, everything changed after he started doing some of those maneuvers. Man, I was ready for it. And when I was ready for it, I enjoyed it. It changed the entire experience. For you, somebody's eating a bag of chips. Oh, Doritos, Doritos. For you, that's what God did. You're like, my soul just, I uh, don't know what happened. But God is now showing you why it's so important to lay some of these foundational truths and embed them in your soul. And now you can't be caught. The writer of that song it is well with my soul. Hiroshia Spofford, he said, it is well with my soul. Even though he had just lost four daughters when he wrote that song. His entire wealth was wiped out in the Chicago fire in the 1800s. Everything gone. But he still wrote, it is well with my soul. My desire for you is that your situation may be better than your soul, but the goal is for your soul to always be better than your situation. Let's stand, can we?